Welcome to the Vanguard Church Podcast. You're about to hear a sermon from Vanguard Church Central in the heart of Colorado Springs. With every message, it's our prayer that you hear and learn how to live out your faith in real relationship with Jesus and with others. May your faith be strengthened, your hope increased, and your heart inspired to live for Jesus no matter the cost. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening. Good morning. morning. I'm back. It's summertime, so it's you, and it's the teaching team, and it's the summer series. We're going to be in this for the next nine weeks, and I want to start by telling you a story, which I don't usually start with a story from my life, but here we go. We're going to give it a shot. Uh, Back in 1994, I was a college freshman at Iowa State University because I'm from Iowa. Any chance? Do we have Midwesterners? Yes, John, I know, yes. It's just you and me, John, brother. Uh, And so I went off to college, and um, I was on a floor in my dorm of 60 women. That's that's a lot of female freshmen contained in one place. And I was walking down the hallway. You know, you have to go to the community bathroom, so you cross that that path a lot, tread that ground a lot. And there was one door that was almost always open. And I would walk by it and I would always see the same gal inside of her room. And, you know, we might casually wave or exchange a a friendly smile, but it never really had a conversation. And so one day I was walking back from the bathroom and I, you know, sort of did this. And then I, what's she doing? And she was coloring in a coloring book. Now, Most 18-year-old gals do not color in coloring books. Eileen, I cannot see your face, so we got to fix that right now. So they don't color in coloring books. So I knocked on her door. You know, I was like, hi, we haven't met. I'm Candy. And she said, I'm Emily. And I said, "Are are you coloring? And she said, yes. She holds it up so proudly. It's my Jesus coloring book. And I thought, was not a believer. I had been raised Catholic, believed in God, had no relationship with Jesus Christ, did not consider myself a faith follower in any way, shape, or form. And so I was absolutely intrigued by this very warm, I was just immediately drawn to her. And what do we know as believers when others are drawn to us? Are they really drawn to us? No, they're not. They are drawn to the Jesus, the Holy Spirit inside of us. And we should never take that for granted because when someone responds to us, we have no idea if they are coming from a place of unbelief and we are the gateway that God is using that day to say, I've got my eye on that one. Get them in, get them in, get them in. And I so admire and applaud, uh, Craig and I uh, call her M's. I applaud her because she was always warm and open like that, always. So she tells me about her Jesus coloring book and we just struck up a friendship. And over the next couple of weeks, she would stop at my room and I would stop at hers. And she, she was just magnificent, I thought, just one of the kindest human beings I had ever met. And then one day I come, uh, it's a whole other story, but I came to my room and she was doing me a favor by hanging out in my room. And I walk into my room and she's coloring in her Jesus coloring book. And I say, hey, Ems, 
And she said, oh, have you met my friend Craig? And that is how I met my husband. M's in my life was an unusual suspect. What do I mean by that? Well, I did not encounter Emily that very first day thinking my life will fundamentally be changed because I met this person. I was just walking back from the bathroom. Now, the other component we have to remember as believers is that we know that there is no coincidence. But you know, there are billions of people walking on the planet right now, and they just believe that things are happenstance, kismet, fate, destiny. No, it is the moving and working and alive plan of God who is active and real in our lives every day. Amen? Oh, we're getting right into it right away here. So what I thought was just a happy circumstance, I 100% see now on this side of salvation that God ordered every one of those steps from the bathroom to have the door open, to have Emily in the view. She was in her Jesus coloring book. She was ready, ready to receive me, ready to say hello to me, ready to institute a whole series of events. And I was sharing with John and Sandy out in the hall, speaking of there are no coincidences. Pastor Aaron led us in, I love you, Lord. That's old school. How many of you know that's, yes, it's beautiful old school. So I journeyed with Emily in friendship and I had all these questions and she had this Jesus person. And I was like, what, who is he? And what is this about? And along the way, as I just said, I met a guy named Craig and every question that I had, it seemed like I fired at this guy. I mean, baby, I don't know how you did it because these were not, tell me your happiest moment. These are, were questions that really regarded God's sovereignty, my purpose in life. What happens if I don't choose him? Is there a hell? Is there a heaven? How do I reconcile my life and my history and my past? These are not light questions. And Emily was right alongside. And they invited me to go to our college group and I went. And I went a few times and then one night, our worship leader sang that song, I Love You, Lord. And I remember kind of looking around and I was fully present and I thought, these people really believe what they're singing. You ever felt that way when you're in a group and you're aware of the group, but you're not part of the group? That's how I felt. I think this is lovely. I mean, their arms were up. I could see on their faces that they were singing to someone I didn't know. And then the worship pastor uh, merged into We Exalt Thee. Another beautiful old school one, isn't it? And it's so simple. It's just three words over and over again. And I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that I needed Jesus Christ right then. Right then. It was urgent. See, unusual suspects, they are obvious to God, but they're often hidden to us. They are functioning in the world of where God has them and we are yearning to encounter them even if we don't know we are. And until we do, they seem to us like they're in the shadows, but in God's perfect plan and order, they are ordained. They're, if you will, destined and purposed by God for that moment in time. And that concept is what we're gonna spend the next nine weeks looking at. But instead of looking at first in our own lives, we're gonna see it in scripture in nine, if you will, characters, P 
people in scripture and we read them and we encounter them and then we move on. We think, oh, okay, gotcha. You know, they're not a Jesus. They're not a John. They're not an apostle Paul. They're not a Moses. But they are unusual suspects because what they do how they're present in God's story creates a ripple effect of tremendous meaning. So that's our series in a nutshell. And today we're going to dive right in to our first person in the Bible. And we're going to meet the bleeding woman. The bleeding woman is one of my favorite people in the Bible. It's why I picked her. I've been wanting to teach on her forever and ever and ever, and I was just looking for the chance, and here it is. So she appears in three Gospels, and that's already noteworthy, that we have a story that's repeated by three of the writers of the Gospels, and we meet her in a time situation. Jesus has been on the ocean, the sea, and he's just calmed it. We know that story. So that in the timeline is what has just happened. He's come ashore. And he's immediately bombarded with what we'll see is a throng of people. That's a whole lot of people. And in the course of this giant crowd comes this one lowly woman. And as we read her story, we're going to see not just that she is an unusual suspect, but why. And it's because what we're going to see is that she's hanging on by a thread, spiritually, psychologically, socially, emotionally. But what we're going to know, as many of you have Um, experience the story is that the thread she's hanging on to is attached to the savior of the world. Are you ready? I'm ready. Are you ready? All right, 9 a.m., let's hit it. We're turning to Mark 5, 24. So if you've got your program, if you've got your Bible, if you are joining us online, we are happy you are here. Let us dive into Mark 5, verse 24. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. That's an important verb. We're not talking about five or six. We're not talking about 10 or 12. We're probably not even talking about 100. uh, Most theologians believe historically at this time, there could have been over 1,000 people waiting for him to come on shore. And think about what they have just seen him do. A large group, tight, tight surrounding him. Verse 25, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And we're already going to stop right there. The details of the Bible, do not overlook them. It is the most perfectly well-written book that exists. And speaking as an English professor, that's saying something. God is my favorite writer. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at the uh, minutia of his word today. And if you've heard me teach before, you know I love that because God reveals so much in what he doesn't say, just like he reveals in what he does. So we say, and there was a woman. Now, it's important that this story is a woman. What do we know about women in the time culturally? Did they have a lot of power? No. Their position was not high in society. They were much more functionary. They were mothers. They were wives. They were children. And those are beautiful roles to have. But not much more was available or offered. She had a discharge of blood. 
Now, this is a curious phrase, potentially, if you're not overly familiar with it. And we're going to go to Leviticus to find out more about it. So this is Leviticus 15, 25 through 27. You'll see this in your program. If a woman has a discharge of blood, do you see that same phrase? So this is not a metaphoric or a figurative. This is a literal physical condition that this woman is engaging. And if she has it for many days, not at the time of her menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond the time of her impurity, do you hear the repeat of that? So this is a bodily function, but in Levitical times, which is the rule of the temple and of the culture, a woman is considered impure and unclean at this time. Now, we know that this is a finite, short period of time when we talk about the physiology of a menstrual cycle. But back in verse 25, this woman has had this condition for how long? 12 years. That's 365 times 12. Going back to Leviticus, it says, All of the days, I bolded that for you in your program. Do you see that? All of the days, not one, not two, all of them. So 365 times 12. Now this woman, she shall continue in uncleanness as in the days of her impurity, she shall be unclean. Every bed on which she lies shall be to her as the bed of her impurity and everything on which she sits shall be unclean. So if she sits on a chair, no one else is touching the chair. If she lays in a bed, no one else is coming in contact with the bed. Whoever touches the things, then they become unclean, like a contagion. And they shall have to wash his clothes and bathe themselves in water and be unclean until the evening. What's the core point that I'm making to you here? I want you to see this woman. I don't want you to read that she was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and then move on. We are going to press into really imagining her, embracing her, picturing her so that we can get it. This woman was absolutely isolated. She would not have been allowed in the temple to worship. She would have not been allowed to come past the gates into the community of everyone that she knew. We would imagine that if she had a husband, he had distanced himself from her. Scripture doesn't tell us if she did. And if she didn't have a husband, she is highly unlikely to acquire one. Without a husband, she has no no children. And how could she have them if she's been bleeding for 12 years? And what did I tell you about the purpose of a woman? A wife, a mother, she can be neither. She cannot be in her community physically isolated, deemed unclean, not wanted. Point number one, I want you to consider that you need to value others, value others and learn what despairs them and learn what despairs them. You might be comfortable with the word despair as a noun, but what is it? Despair goes beyond desperation because when you're desperate, you're acting and you're acting because you have some small sense of hope. I'll try this. I'll try this. I'll try this. I'll try this because something has to work. But when you are in despair, you have no hope. 
And what we're encountering when we really bother looking at this bleeding woman is that she is in despair. Her isolation, her solitude, this, this condition for 12 years. Where would you be? How would you feel? It's interesting to me when we think about the word sympathy. I have sympathy for you or I sympathize with that. What does that word mean? Well, it means that objectively I can look at you and I can say, hey, that must stink. That must be awful. Now, what's the difference between that and empathy? Well, let me tell you, empathy is when you take your similar experience and you apply it to someone else's pain and you feel emotionally attached to them. So when you say I empathize, I have gone through something similar. I know how hard it must be for you right now. But do you notice that the word in the Bible that the Lord gives us isn't sympathy or empathy? It's compassion. It's compassion. And what is compassion? The Latin is compati. It means I suffer with you. I suffer with you. I'm getting down into the ditch that you're in. I'm going off on the road that you're on. I'm going to lay down on the ground with you because I have compassion for you. I want to suffer with you. And when we value others and we learn what is taking away their hope, then we are living in compassion with them. More than sympathy, greater than empathy, but more like Jesus, which is compassion. Why? Because look at verse 26. She had suffered un much under many physicians. Many. In fact, she had spent all that she had and she was no better. But rather grew worse. Seeking what the world has to offer. Medicine is good. Medicine is of God. It is a way that the healer heals us. But she's exhausted all of those options. And not only isn't she better, she's worse. And she's broke. American medical care. She's broke. Luke 8, 43. This is the same verse looking in another gospel. And this is amazing to me. She had spent all her living on physicians, but she couldn't be healed by anyone. That to me is so much more powerful than she grew worse. She couldn't be healed. She couldn't be made whole. She couldn't have totality of herself, no matter where she looked in the world. That is a very powerful lesson in five small words. Five small words that tell us that we can't find what we're looking for in the world and only the world. Despair, point number two, takes many forms but they all threaten hope. Despair takes many forms, but they all threaten hope. We do this thing, especially in our world. We think that if you're hanging on by a thread, it has to look one particular way. You know that phrase, you've hit rock bottom? What's that look like? How do you know? Joe, your rock bottom may not look like my rock bottom, right? We look and we say, you have to be at your absolute worst. We look for the extremes. Maybe that's addiction. Maybe it's homelessness. Maybe it's an abandonment of family. Maybe it's becoming an abuser. We look for violence. We look for extremes. But I submit to you, is it not possible 
That rock bottom looks like a polished mother dropping her kids off in the carpool line and going home to make dinner, having run a day of errands, gone to her job, gotten a promotion. Could she still be at rock bottom? And I'm telling you, the answer is yes. It all depends on how good you are at hiding your rock bottom. And what is the danger in looking at everyone and saying that your despair has to take just one form because we miss it. We can't value what we don't see, what we refuse to recognize. Amen? For some, listen to this, for some it's being stuck in a world of living without thriving. They're alive, they're breathing in and out, they're going through the motions, but there's no there there. There's no life in their life. They have a broken relationship and they can't mend it. A spouse that won't love them, a child that won't come back, a parent that doesn't care about them. For others, it's a dream that isn't coming true no matter how hard they try. Aimlessness, listlessness. It could be addiction. It could be rage. It could be bitterness. Do not rank someone else's despair according to your own. Don't do it. We say to each other, well, I don't think that that is that painful. How do you know? Well, I think you're overreacting. I think that maybe you're responding a little too emotionally. For you, that might be true. I'm a thinker. I'm not a feelings-based person. So most of what I recognize, I'm like, well, that seems pretty extreme. But if I stay there and I fail to recognize that God has made every one of you in a profoundly important, unique, precious, God says you are fearfully and wonderfully made, every one of you. So who am I to rank your pain, to say your despair, your hopelessness is less than? That is not scriptural. So we take this example from the bleeding woman and we, we look at her, we look at her details and we try to have compassion to suffer with her in this story so that we might learn something. We'll learn what? That Proverbs thirteen twelve says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And I want you to think about this kind of pain of despair. I want you to think about it as being heart sick. It's just so heavy. It's a weight and it's pulling you down every day. And there are people walking by you, coming from the bathroom and your door is open and they're drowning. I didn't know that I was drowning when I walked by M's door. I didn't know that, but I know I was now. And she didn't save me. Who saved me? Jesus Christ, save me, amen. But he said, Emily, you're my girl. And she suffered with me. She had compassion for me. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. All right, so contrast that. Look at the details of God's word. Hope deferred is despair. It's the heart sick. But when you have hope, it's a tree of life. It feeds you every moment. It's consistently dwelling in you, bubbling up in you, like a, the Bible says, a wellspring of life. And can you not see that in people's eyes? You ever look at somebody and feel like their eyes are just dead? Yes, amen, Virginia, have you? And there's no there there. 
And then conversely, have you ever seen one experience a healing? Come to know Jesus Christ and you see life in their eyes and there's something there and there's a glow to their skin. It's because they were dead and now they're alive. And we look for the literal dead and the literal alive. But what about the spiritual? What about a dead man walking? Every single human being who doesn't know Jesus Christ is a dead person walking. And you hold the key. You and your Jesus coloring book, whatever that is for you. It's your conversation at the water cooler, or it's the ride you give to a colleague, or it's the moment you take in the carpool lane to not honk your horn at the gal who can't seem to get moving. It's that, for me, it's that, why are you driving so slow? What's happening right now? And then I think, you know, what if they were a person, what if they're a mom with a birthday cake in the back seat and they're driving so slowly because they don't want the birthday cake to fall? It's me reminding me in my own negativity to have compassion for someone else. And so here's this bleeding woman and she's in despair and she is broke. She is not getting better. She's getting worse. She can find no healing. She's ostracized and alone. So where does she turn? Well, she turns to where we all turn. She turns to Jesus. Look at verse 27. She had heard the reports about Jesus. She had heard the reports. She uh, heard on the vine, the tea was pouring. She doesn't know him. Do you catch that? She had heard the reports. Means that she doesn't believe or know him. She heard about him. And she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I even touch his garments, I will be made well. Look at Matthew 9, 21. This is in your program. This is the message version of that translation of that same verse. She was thinking to herself, if I can just put a finger on his robe, I'll get well. You ever start a conversation with God and it starts out, if I just? Now, here's the thing. If I just is often the way we negotiate with God. Well, if I just, and usually it's do something good, it'll make up for the sin I haven't repented for. But notice that's not what she's doing here. She had heard that this guy was coming into town and he's a miracle worker. He's calmed the raging sea by saying, shh, And there's thousands of people surrounding him. And she thinks, if I just, that's a very beautiful three-word phrase to me. If I just, that's the faith of a grain of sand. It's the mustard seed. How often do we get dug out of our despair by God by starting with a mustard seed? It's the faith that can move mountains, amen? All right, so she goes. Here's what I have found after years and years and years of looking at this scripture, having conversations about this story. This is a well-known narrative in the Bible. And people think, man, what a woman of faith. Yes, you ever think about what it took to get there? 
Like we like the story of her touching the robe. We look at one another and we think, man, what a person of God, what a man of God, what a woman of God. Do you ever think about what it costs to get there? Because you know it costs something. If it was easy, every single person would be a follower of Jesus Christ. That I can guarantee you. If they never had to give anything up, never had to live by rules, never had to sacrifice themselves, place someone else above them, never had to live a lifetime of give, 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 and do for the Lord, 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 and think to themselves, what am I getting out of it? You're getting Jesus Christ out of it. There is no greater gift than that. But we don't live like that. So what we miss in the story of the bleeding woman is not just that this is a person of faith, it's that she has to get to him. We like the arrival, but we don't ever think about what it took. And the Bible doesn't narrate for us the step-by-step-by-step. So I just want you to go a little bit in the world of imagination. This woman was savvy. And I'll tell you why. Now she's got a problem. She heard about Jesus and now she's got to get to Jesus. But where can she not be? Anywhere but her house. She can't go past the temple gates. How'd she get there? I mean, no, seriously, how did she get there? Who did she have to bypass? How did she slide her way in? She gets to the crowds, throng of people. And she's looking and she sees them all. And I mean, I'm telling you, in my mind, is it in your mind too, that it's Jesus and then like people, 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 people. That's a throng. Now, how are you going to get there? And I, I can just see her evaluating Remember, she's in despair. I have no hope. I got to get to the only possible hope. And in your life, if it's between you and Jesus, what would you take out to get there? What would you take out? Everybody. Everybody. So now she's actively bleeding. And I'm not trying to, to be coarse. Probably doesn't smell good. She doesn't. And she is... Uh, physically in a position of don't want to probably have a lot of contact with her. So the idea of going through the crowd, you should see me push through a crowd. I can take care of things. Small, but mighty. That's not an option for her. So I want you to imagine her looking at the throng and she thinks this won't work and that won't work, but this will. But this will. Your next point, sometimes the highest point is the lowest. So you're going to have to forfeit your pride. Sometimes the highest point with God is your lowest point. And you're going to have to forfeit your pride. She crawled. Do you get that? She crawled. Gosh, that just moves me. She crawled. In the dirt, on the ground. What would have been on the ground? a lot of disgusting feet. We're not talking about covered chucks. We're not talking about leather wedges. We're talking about open feet. If they had any kind of sandal, they're walking through mud, dirt, debris. The animals are walking everywhere. And what do they leave behind? I want you to grasp what she crawled through to get to her hope. how humiliating that might have looked. Maybe even felt, right? 
And she thinks, if I can just touch the very edge, I can have hope. That is profound. Don't walk away without thinking about what she forfeited to get there. Mark 10, 31 says, but many who are the greatest now will be the least then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. And he's talking about coming into the kingdom and choosing him. And that is what she's doing in this moment. She's choosing him by being the least. Verse 29 of of Mark says, and immediately the uh, flow of blood dried up. When? Immediately. Immediately. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. What was she lacking no matter where she went? Healing. And she found the hope and she was healed immediately. And Jesus perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him immediately turned in the crowd. Who touched my garments? Point number four, you might have to wait a long time say 12 years. You might have to wait a long time, but faith brings healing. Faith brings healing and it squelches our despair. Faith squelches our despair. It brings us hope. Now the question is, why did he ask? Why do you think he asked? Now, let me submit this to you. Do you think that anything involving anything is missed by God? We know he's omnipotent. We know he's omniscient. He's all-powerful and he's all-knowing. And Jesus is God in flesh. Do you follow? So when he says, who touched me, do you think he doesn't actually know? So why ask the question? Well, we don't know because I'm not God. But let me give you two very important thoughts. Chew on these. I think he wants her to know. I think he wants her to know. I healed you. What just happened to you is me. It wasn't coincidence. It wasn't all the physicians working these years and years and years, 12 of them, and just coincidentally, boom, you touched me and all the physicians' healings worked. No, I'm the one that healed you. Philippians 2, 10 through 11 says, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow or crawl on the ground in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. So the second thought about the question, I want you to consider this. He wants others to hear her testimony that he healed her. You might be saying, you you mean Jesus wanted the credit? Absolutely. Absolutely. And he's deserving of it. Yes. Yes, he wanted her to announce he had healed her. Look at verse 31. His disciples said to him, you know, do you ever have those moments when the disciples and they they ask, don't they, the most obvious question? They're a little bit, sometimes a little bit of buffoons. So they say, hey, you see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say, who touched me? Like, how are we going to know, Jesus? And Jesus looked around to see who had done it. He knows already, but he's giving her, and I want you to catch this, he's giving her an opportunity to give him the glory. He gives you chances 
to give him glory. Don't miss him. Don't miss him. If the God of the universe invites you to declare his name, there should be nothing holding you back. You should be the loudest you've ever been, the happiest you've ever felt, the most direct you can humanly be. And she has a choice. She could shrink away. I mean, listen, did she not get what she came for? God is not your vending machine. He'll give you what you need and you can walk away or you can give praise and glory to the God who healed you. It's up to you. It's up to her. And what does she say? Knowing what had happened to her, she came in fear and trembling and she fell down before him and told him the whole truth. I want to wrap us up with this. This is a word that we use um, in literary criticism. So bear with me. It's a meta-narrative. I want, you to ta- I want you to go back to where we started. So Jesus has calmed the storm. He's come onto the shore. Now, he's going somewhere, Scripture says. So we're in a meta-narrative. Jesus has this timeline of events, which is the sea to the next event. And inserted into that is the bleeding woman. She is to the crowds unexpected. She's a side story, a story within meta. Why is that important? Let's see what scripture does. I love this. Jairus is the ruler of the temple. And his daughter is dying. Jesus came on shore. Jairus says, my daughter's dying. I need you to come heal her. So that's where he's going. Are you with me so far? Jairus is the ruler of the temple. And the ruler of the temple enforces all of the laws that keep the bleeding woman alone. See how they're intertwined? He's the power that contains her. His daughter, scripture says, is 12 years old. How long has the woman been bleeding? Hmm. The young woman coming out at 12 in this cultural time, which we would probably struggle to relate to because that's not true for our time, but at 12 years old, the young woman is coming out and she can become a wife and she can become a mother. But the woman who's been bleeding for 12 years is ending the time when she can be anything. Do you see how? Meta-narrative. Because Jesus stopped and healed the woman, Jairus' daughter died. You ever ask God, how come that happened? How come that bad happened when this good happened? Yes? How come you stopped to heal this woman? And because of that, Jairus might say, my daughter died. Well, let's see. Jesus arrives at the house having healed the bleeding woman. Luke 8.50 says, do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. Taking her by the hand, he called saying, child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. Jairus' household had a greater return that day because Jesus didn't heal the daughter. He raised her from the dead. God is never working just one miracle at a time. Don't ever put him in that box. 
So you're looking at outcome and you're saying, but God, couldn't you have done this better because this didn't go so well? You don't know that. God is doing something greater than your small, my small human mind can imagine. And we get stuck. It's like ranking despair. We decide that we know best and we don't know best. He was going to raise the girl from the dead the whole time. And the woman came, the woman who'd been bleeding for 12 years, the 12 year old girl died. He raised her from the dead. He healed the woman. It's a good day at the office. Nothing in scripture is coincidental. Do you see the details? Testify humbly to the whole truth of what God's done for you. The whole truth. Tell it all. Don't take out the bad. We need the bad. We need the hard. We need the sin. Because if we don't have that, we don't see the restoration and the healing of your despair. You have nothing to be ashamed of. That's the entire point of salvation and redemption is to share where you were so that we know where you are. So that we know where you were and who you are. And our final verse, he said to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Made you well. This is not a woman who is just healed in her body. Amen. This is a woman who had life. She had hope. She now had community. She now had possibility. The potential of life is that that tree of life is that hope fulfilled in her. So your last point, live in peace, no longer in despair. If we are humans, and we are, you are, I am, you will encounter despair. In this world, Jesus said, you will have troubles, but take heart. I've overcome the world. We forget that, don't we, in our despair. We forget that you're on the winning team. We forget that we exalt him. We forget that there are no coincidences. We forget that he has order and we has, he has purpose and he has a beautiful plan. Nothing is accidental. You are not accidental. What you have overcome is not accidental. What you are still overcoming You have strength, you have power, you have possibility. And we just get so beaten down and we look at others and they're all beaten down. And we like, where's the hope in this world? We should stop listening to the news as much as we do and start reading more of the good news and maybe we might feel better. Amen? So what do you do when you're in despair? You remember that you're hanging on by a thread. Make sure it's the thread at the hem of his robe. Thanks for listening to the Vanguard Central podcast. We encourage you to go out and live your faith in real relationship with Jesus and with others. God bless you, friend. See you next time.